So the big question is this. How do the best recruiters and recruitment business owners ride the highs and lows of recruitment whilst ensuring they remain at the top? How do they stay consistent? How do they manage their time? How do they cultivate the correct mindset? And what are the best recruiters and recruitment businesses doing differently? These are the questions that all recruiters want to know the answers to. This is the podcast where I have real and honest conversations with some of the most talented recruitment professionals globally to uncover all their secrets. My name is Hisham Azuz. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm joined by Chris Bennett, who is a management consultant within Evolution Recruitment Solutions. He's worked for Evolution for nearly five years, has worked in recruitment for nearly seven, and for the last three years, has solely focused on the Nordics tech market and manages a small team of five. Chris, thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to unpack your journey so far. Um, where I always like to, to start on this podcast is how Chris Bennett entered the world of recruitment. Let's start there because I know when we spoke before this, you actually told me you love recruitment. So, so yeah, yeah. Let, let's still, start there. Still love, still, still love it. How how did you how did you enter the world of recruitment? Well, I. Went to university. Um, I don't know how deep you want me to go here, but went to university, wanting to go into the army as an officer. Realised I didn't want to get shot at. So I came out of university with a physical geography degree and um, just focusing on glaciers, and there's not too many glaciers knocking about nowadays. <laughs> so my um, a good friend of mine I went to university with rang me saying, they're hiring at his place. It was a recruitment company in Warrington. Went for, like, I think it was like a big, like, there's 15 of us, Banya. Assessment centre. Yeah, assessment centre. Uh, I was most underdressed out of everyone. But uh, they seemed to like me. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I got into it, really. What was your perception of recruitment at that point? How was it sold to you? Oh, I hadn't got a clue what it was. Yeah. <laughs> All I know was for like the three months leading up to it, I kept applying for jobs and they were with recruitment companies. And I thought they were, they were actually going to be working yeah, yeah, yeah. with recruitment companies. So I hadn't got a clue about it, to be honest. Um, all I know that, yeah, my friend was doing okay. He was earning a bit of money, so... Yeah, that's, I don't really know much about it. <laughs> so, so at that point in your life, then was it just very much done uni and needed a job? Recognise I don't yeah. want to do the army. I know that you you did a bit of the army cadet stuff while she was at uni or whatever. So, like, it was a real like right. I need to get a job. I need to just crack on, basically. Yeah, that that was it, really. Um, yeah, I was I wasn't doing anything at the time. I would have done anything, uh, and then. Fortunately enough, um, my friend rang me and said, do you want to get into this? And then I've not looked back since, to be honest. Okay. So just for context for people, so you worked at that first company, was it for two years? Yeah. Yeah. So it was just short of two years. Okay. Just short of two years. And it's all you just told me before, this has always been contract recruitment. Yeah. So just short of two years. And then for the last pretty much nearly six now, no, uh, five years, sorry. It's you've been at Evolution, yeah? Yeah, so the, the first company I was at... Um, what did they recruit in? Mainly oil and gas. Okay. Um, and you go into kind of... I went into that job and it was mainly like pure recruitment, not really the sales part of it. So I had a kind of a view on what recruitment was, which massively changed when I joined Evolution. Well, what, do you, what do you mean, pure recruitment? What you just it did? Was, it was mainly, mainly, yeah, delivery, uh, finding candidates. You spend your whole day finding candidates. You weren't really qualifying jobs. I mean, the oil and gas industry and recruitment has been going for so long. Uh, it's a very established market, and therefore there's a lot of processes in place that kind of stop you from what I would call now doing proper recruitment. Okay. So... So a lot of that first 18 months was figuring out how to headhunt, yeah, which 
don't get me wrong, is an incredible skill and one I'd advise anyone who's starting in recruitment to master very quickly because you've not got enough time to headhunt people when you get good at the job. Yeah, because when you get good at the job, you're trying to make clients better, you're trying to find new clients all the time. And you, so you've not got time to be headhunting yeah, for eight hours a day. So, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed my first two years, uh, but I was kind of gone. Yeah, how, how would you sum it up? Like how, because obviously it's typically like the first year or so that can be the most difficult. That was definitely the most difficult for me, but like obviously enjoyed it. Like how would you sum up those first 18 months? question um i enjoy i enjoyed it i didn't feel like i was um with too many um like-minded people so it was difficult in that context um but no it was it was um valuable let's say really so, so it didn't recruitment didn't chew you up and spit you out and chris was like right okay i'm not doing recruitment anymore no yeah. no i enjoy it. it's hard it's really hard and i enjoy stuff that stuff that's hard so um yeah okay so then joined evolution which i know is is what we're gonna sort of focus on so joined evolution and the sort of first half of you being at evolution was just for context so it was uk market right because for the last two and a half it's been not the uk and and it was at like similar markets to what you do now in terms of tech yeah so I came on board um, I remember interviewing a few companies when I decided to leave um, my first company and the owner of the business, Gareth, uh, who did the Oh, mate, you, mu- you must have been ripe rec-to-rec property, mate. 18 months. Enjoy. <laughs> I, I know, yeah. And I, I, I came and I did the interview and I kind of decided I was going somewhere else. Okay. Um, and then Gareth did this came into an interview at Evolution for, I think it was like seven o'clock in the morning because I needed to be working at half eight. And Gaz rattled on for about two and a half hours. Um, so I was really late. So at that point, I definitely had to leave the company. But he gave me this big speech. He's a Manchester City fan and I'm a Manchester City fan. And he gave me this massive speech that I could be the next Vincent company and just bought it. But when, <laughs> but when but, you was going to be the next Vincent company, yeah, 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 the Vincent company of the, of, of, uh, the company. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I bought it, uh, but I thought I was kind of, um, kind of I almost thought I knew everything in recruitment, yeah, when I came to evolution, and I didn't know, um, didn't know a lot to be honest. <laughs> what, what um, did, let's talk about that because I think that's, I think that's, I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? That like especially for those that worked at one particular company for a long time. It's like, you don't know, I think this is what's changed with this podcast and you have more access to things, but you can be really insular, can't you? And sort of um, be susceptible to, yeah, this is how our company does it. That's how we do recruitment sort of thing. But what, what would you say were the key things that you quote unquote didn't know or was not aware or didn't learn in the first I didn't know. When I came to Evolution, I got given a patch that hadn't been worked before. No one had done it before. Uh, we had no clients. Um, I remember during the interview process, they asked me to do a presentation. And I remember saying, oh, well, what I'd do is go and speak around the company and see which clients are fitting with my patch. And they said, with no clients. I was like, wow, right, okay, that's, that's interesting. So anything around bringing on new clients, um, I hadn't got a clue about. And if you're in 360, that is the hardest bit about the job. Yeah, hardest part. Right? Where you're spending most of your time. I also didn't know about building a patch. Um, but if, you, if you've got a patch, then you've got to think of 20 plus ways of fa- finding people within that patch. And was it just done on geography, mate? Just for context. Yeah, it was. I did uh, Northwest uh, UK Java um, contract. Okay. That was, that, that was the Chris Bennett patch that you got given well i quickly found out that people have been nailing this patch for quite a while um but yeah that was that was my area that's my former so, so let area. so let, let's break this down then so that first year then or we could talk about the first two years or whatever like what what, was, what ended up being your plan then chris because i do get messages a lot around how to break new patches or how to start growing a new patch and i know before we started this, you said this is something that you've ended up really doing. Oh. But like, what 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 ended up firstly? What ended up being the plan? 
if you had one. <laughs> I remember some really good advice when I came into this job um, that my director at the time told me. And he said, basically, when if you're running a shop and you're the only person at that shop, if you're not working, it's closed, right? And if you're creating a patch, you have to be working ridiculous hours. It's very, very difficult unless you've maybe done it two, three, four times before. So if it's the first time you've ever done it, then it's very difficult and needs a lot of time. Most of that time is going to be spent on admin. Yeah, most of it's going to be spent on admin, which you need to try and do as much as you can outside working hours, right? So that's kind of, that's the first challenge is that most recruiters aren't willing to do that, yeah. right? To the, to the level you need to do it. Also, you've got to have the unreasonable and unattainable target of knowing actually everyone in your patch, Yes, anyone who is a Java contractor in the Northwest, you have to attain to know, right? And they're not all on LinkedIn, yeah? They're not all on your database. They're not all on Stack Overflow. They're not on GitHub, yeah? They're everywhere, yeah? Some are just not on any of these platforms at, at, at all. So you've got to attain that, and every single day you come into the office, you have to try to find more people even though you think you might know enough. So it's a really difficult mindset to have a goal that you can never achieve, but always try and get to it. I love yeah, that. But it's a, it's a good one to have though. So that, that, was, that was your mindset going into it. There were, there was, there were, that was like the North Star of light. So basically I feel was the internal dialogue each day. What can I do today to take me a step closer to knowing everyone in my, in my patch? Yeah. So up until about a year and a half ago, I was always candidate focused which led me to the clients. Uh, I've probably changed now, but initially it was all always about trying to get all the candidates in one place so they knew me, they trusted me, I'd met them, I could offer them value. Yeah, one, one of the biggest challenges in recruitment is offering value on a new patch, right? When you've done a few patches, you can figure out ways of doing that um, more easier, but... Um, yeah, it's difficult to offer value. And therefore, I had to be at every meetup. Yeah, meetup. So, so, so was that, so that, was that, so let's just break this down at the beginning, this new patch that you did, right? Because I know yeah, yeah. the Nordics patch was also a new patch that you built out. Yeah, yeah. So this Northwest Java contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You shared with us what the goal was, a goal that you can never achieve, but it's something that sort of really you strive for. Mm-hmm. So like, so then you just go and say then you ended up really focusing on candidates and have been for a while. So yeah, yeah. you starting this patch then, did you then just start speaking? How you just start speaking to Java contractors or try to speak to as many Java contractors as possible? Yeah, yeah, that was it. I remember my target was um, that was to add five Java contractors a day. A day, okay. My bank, bank of candidates. Um, and yeah, that's the aim. You've just got to keep on adding and keep on figuring out reasons to speak with them again. But to do that, you've got to add value. Yeah. Every, every, that's a hard pit at the beginning, isn't it? Everyone's trying to do this. Um, so figuring out ways to add value is where the money is in recruitment, I think. So if you're starting out a new patch, go to the meetups. How, where, how, did you re- how did you come across the meetups, Chris? Like, why did you end up looking at, why did it end up being the meetups that ended up being a good way to do that? Like, how did you... How did you so, identify that? I believe Evolution um, got involved on the Agile Warrington meetup. Yeah, and we hosted it at our office. Um, that, and then, well, that is so, niche. Agile Warrington. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there was quite a few people, actually. It's amazing how many people you can get down for free pizza. Love that. So we started doing that, and Agile is a part of anyone in tech that, that Agile is a part of their patch in some way or another. So I went to the, the meetup, yeah, figured out um, that there's some value here. You can have face-to-face meetings with people quite easily. And like, wow, I'm striving to get these every day. So I went to the Java meetup in uh, Manchester. And was like, How did you get an invite? How did you get an invite? I didn't. I didn't get an invite. I just, I just went. and um, On I your think, own? Yeah, 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 on my own. 
And um, there was about eight people there, of which it's like, they, they weren't bothered that I was there. Yeah, because I was speaking the, the kind of their language. How, how did you approach it? Let's just talk about that. How did you approach that meetup? Because I think this is, because I think what a lot of recruiters, because rec- events have been done and uh, I think they're great. I don't think they're ever, they'll ever be done. It's so important to bring people together and people love that community, meeting like-minded people, etc. But I think recruiters, I think when they think, oh, if I attend to a meetup, one, do they want me there? Like, like, how do you, how do you approach it in a way where I guess you're not perceived as a typical recruiter going around there just to well, do you know what I mean? Like, how did you approach it? What was the mindset? Well, first, you've got to kind of admit you are a recruiter, and it just does it does my head in when people are ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah. if you if you're ashamed of being a recruiter, don't be a recruiter. End of love that. Yeah, you are a recruiter, but if you start calling yourself something like a broker or a consultant, yeah, that, that's what you are. You're a broker of services, yeah, and that's it, especially on contracts. Uh, you're just introducing two people to another. And to do that, you've got to know everything in your market, yeah, what's going on, who's hiring. So when you go to these events, yeah, if you're going to speak to them about jobs or asking for CVs, you've done it completely wrong, yeah. You've got to be speaking about why... why I used to write down a few questions that I would ask uh, before I would go to the event and get them in my head. So every time I met someone new, I would ask them. And what, I, what I'd recommend is go to the person who stood on their own. It's easy to speak because they want to speak to someone as well. How many questions? Yeah, just like... Just how like, how I many did you write down? How many did you prepare? Um, I always used to go in with the question, so where, where have you come from today? Yeah, that's a good one to get things going. And... Um, why are you here today? What are you looking to get out of today? And then just listen, have a conversation. Yeah. And then trust me, it'll end up on recruitment when you say, I'm a recruiter. Yeah. I'm a broker. Yeah. Because they're interested, they're polite. Um, and that's it. And do you know what? Throw in, a, give them a few leads, tell them who's hiring. Yeah. Tell them clients you don't work with who's hiring. It's not, it's not difficult. Add, add some value to their day. And do realize that. That's just one of 100, 200 people you have to do it to get some business. If you start realising that, that, one is just part of the process and therefore the outcome shouldn't really matter. Yeah. No, Chris, I absolutely love that. I think that's such a great practical piece of advice. On like, If you're going to a networking event, 100% prepare. I love that so much. And, have, and I think what's great about that is you you've got questions up your sleeve that just that helps you just be a bit more confident when you're reaching when you're approaching people right and you're speaking to people for the first time which is it is it is hard it's not easy just to go up to random strangers and talk to people but if you know what you're going to ask to get the conversation going that that's great advice even even if you go to these events now um you go to these events and don't, you don't need to speak to anyone make sure you blog it incredibly yeah, so if you want to sit down there at the back, yeah, take some pictures and write something on LinkedIn about what's going on at the event, uh, do that. Because that's a start. That's still better than most recruiters. Yeah, so if that's where you want to start, fine. Um, if not, get the courage, have some preparation, and don't worry about the outcome. If they say, oh, I don't want to speak to a recruiter, that's fine. That's part of our job. Okay, yeah? I love Not that. everyone wants to speak to everyone. Okay. So five Java contractors a day, carried on doing that, recognised meetups was a good opportunity. You go to this one in Manchester. How, when did you, st- when, obviously, from what, under- I was a perm recruiter, but from what I understand, contract um, recruitment is the harder part, even though it's hard in perm, but the harder part is actually getting projects and clients and businesses that you can actually place contractors with. Because um, obviously, obviously there's more movement on the contract side, right, in terms of actual candidates. So... How did you then shift this into a gear of working with your new client or whatever? What was the time frame of you having this mindset? How long did it take before you actually started bringing on clients? Well, when I went to that first meetup, yeah, I realized quite quickly that this could be much more, much more than it already is. So I asked the woman at the front who was running the meetup um, if she wanted help, if she wanted uh, could I sponsor it? Could I get involved that way? Because then once you've got that, then you've got another reason to speak to people. Yeah. 
So you could get no business at all about from the meetup. But now you've got another conversation to ring. Yeah, I always say when you start your patch, you um I used to do two hours in the morning of canvas and two hours in the evening of canvas. Yeah. Outside working hours so like seven till nine and then five onwards. Yeah. That was kind of my core time. And if you're speaking, oh listen, I went to this meetup, they were discussing this, what are your thoughts? Or have you heard about this meetup? Or last time I went, they were talking about this and they wanted to speak on this. Who do you know? You're having miles better conversations than do you want a job? Or are you and this is with candidates? Yeah, this is with candidates. Now, where that, where that I suppose, when I started uh, billing... Uh, How long did it take you, mate? How long did it take you to, for you to make your... I got, I got my first, first deal um, in, after three months. Yeah, and then after that, it took me to month number seven. I got my second deal, but month number seven, I got five deals um, and had an incredible month, to be honest. And on contract, that just sets you up. I remember being on the um, car park of Cheshire Oaks, yeah, looking at my, my pair, <laughs> thinking, wow, I've just got out of my overdraft. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it was like quite a memorable moment. I thought, right, yeah, I'm in this. Yeah, so maybe because then it's that confidence, isn't it? But it was it, from month three. So up until month three, it's all new. You're doing stuff uh, constantly new. Got my deal sorted. And then after that, you think, after my deal, I can do some other, other deals. And everything that could go wrong went wrong. And so many learns between, let's say, month three to month seven. I remember sat, sat, um, desk over there to be honest well, you can't see it but um about half eight at nine just thinking I can't get anything I can't land anything I'm really struggling and um I rang my manager at the time and he was just saying you're doing the right things you're doing the right things keep on going and I did and thankfully I did um and yeah yeah so month seven so let, so let let's just talk about that period Chris now you're just talking about it there just for a sec and then we'll segue into how you then built on this. Because there'll be a lot of, if you think about now the, the world that we live in, there'll be a lot of recruiters that will be that will probably going through that or have been going through that over the last three, four months, right? May not have made a deal during the whole COVID period. So like when you was going, like you said, made that first deal, you're like, right, I can do this now. Recruitment, completed it, now to do it. And then you don't do any more deals until month seven. You just said, spoke to your manager and they told you, keep doing what you're doing. But like, how did you push yourself through that? Like, how did you actually get through that? Because that's tough. That's not easy. How did you deal with blanking? Thankfully, I've always, I've always worked harder when I'm not doing well. Yeah, so that's one thing that, that I was fortunate to always have. Um, but it's, you've got to rely on the people around you. Yeah. If you are going through... I suppose it's different to look at this initial stage of doing a 360 patch and compare it with what's going on at the moment. Yeah. But I suppose that there are some similarities. But when you're starting off a patch and you maybe you've never done it before, then you've got to trust the people around you. Yeah. You've got to trust the manager who's brought you on board. Yeah. That they know what they're talking about. And everyone uses the phrase like back to basics. Make sure you're doing the basics. Yeah, if you sat on GitHub all day trying to find one more Java developer, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you're doing it really wrong. And therefore, you've got to you've got to trust the basics of the job. So what people around you are doing, make sure you're doing that. So that, that's the first first place to focus. But yeah, it's difficult to compare it to what's going on at the moment. Because right now, my advice to what everyone's going through now is... If, you, if you've already done well, you know what works. Keep doing that. Keep doing that and um, the timing will come. Yeah, Don't expect to be doing any better than you were doing before, but just keep doing that. Um, yeah, and I suppose. No, I love that. So the, the advice there, I, I, no, I, really, I think that's great advice, Chris. So basically what you're saying is if, if, you're, going, if you, you're going for a real tough patch, if you're early on or you're doing a new patch or whatever, and, and it, yeah, you might blank for the last three months, two months, however long, I guess what you're saying there, and I really had to 
do this as well with the people around me because I've got the same advice. He should keep doing what you're doing. You're putting the volume of activity, work ethic, blah, blah, blah. It's basically trust what people are telling you around you. Trust the process because when you're in trouble is when you get up in your own head and doubt yourself. You're like, what am I doing, blah, blah, blah. So what you're saying is try and filter that out by really trusting what people say around you basically when you're going through those difficult periods. If they're generally saying, Chris, you're doing the right things, it'll pay off. Yeah, trust the process um, of the basics of the job. Yeah. Keep doing that. But you've also got to kind of, in fact, you've also got to take some accountability. And you've also got to realize that if you want to get 99% of people who end up in good place in life, yeah, have gone through all of these exact same things in one way or another. Yeah. So just appreciate that it's just part of the process. Even if you end up after three months not billing, they sack you, but you really love recruitment. That's not the end of it. It's just part of your process. Yeah. So that's so just focus, understand that this happens, understand that you're accountable for it, and therefore you have to change. But just make sure you do the basics along the way. Love that. So let let's let's fast forward then. How did you end up finishing in the first, in year one then of, of sort of trying to make something out of this patch? Did your first deal in three months in, five deals come month seven. What? How did you end up finishing year one in terms of your, your contract book roughly or like how did it plan itself out? I think, I think first year, yeah, I end up bringing in about 100 grand, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think I was on about fluctuating anywhere between about a 2,000 to about 4,000 weekly book value. Okay. How, so obviously worked really hard to get to that point. You must, how did you feel going into year two of this patch then? Was you quite excited by it? Did you see what? Oh, how, yeah, how, yeah. So how, so obviously basically what you've done in that year one is work your absolute socks off to give yourself a foundation that hopefully you can take to the next level, right? Going into year two. So what, what was what was the plan going into the year two and by the time you then switched to Nordics? But like, how did you plan on growing this patch so it's double what it is or whatever the goal was? Like, what, what was the plan to expand it and, and grow it? I've always I've always uh, done the business plans, yeah. And at first I thought it was like a, a bit of like a, just a management tool, to be honest. Um, but I've always done business plans at the start of the year. And if you took, if you said you could ask me this question, I could have checked my business plan. But I, I I reviewed my business plans probably I probably did it about a month two months ago, and like I'm not joking, like 80 percent of it is country, literally seventy eighty percent. Yeah. So what I would say is, most likely I would have wrote and written down the business plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair, and, fair. and committed to it. But I suppose uh, year two I was obsessed. <laughs> yeah, I was going. I was. I was going to like at least one meetup a week after work. Uh, one meetup, yeah. Um, probably four, five, four, five a month. I was in a position where I was working so hard that it allowed me to sometimes do stuff outside patch because people above me allowed me to do it because I would go above and beyond to do it. So I suppose I was in a good place in the company that. I had the, they'd already understood I'd love this job and I was okay at it. So they gave me the flexibility to kind of chase other stuff, yeah, if need be. If you're always relying on sticking to your current patch, there are limitations with that. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I, I just put myself in a, a decent position to explore other stuff. Okay. So wh- why don't we then, before we go into the Nordics piece that I'm really keen to get into why don't we just give people context so like maybe we can talk about i don't know where you where your book was or where you was sort of billings wise before you transfer over transferred over to nordics and then i'll I'll then i'll then what i want you to do is then just think about what looking back what you think were some of the key contributors that helped you um achieve that right which is what i'm keen to do so i guess end of year two maybe we could just do that or by the time you left, what, where was you at? So you said 100k first year. Where where was you at book wise? So second year, it was about 
difficult to remember. It's been a bit of a roller coaster, but um, it's all right, mate. Just r- roughly, I'm not going to hold um, it. I suppose the key milestones was that I left doing UK recruitment with just over a 10k book. Okay, cool. Um, so let, let's just let's just use that as the guidance, right? Left by the time you got to around 10k um, book, right? Which is which is great and considerable growth compared to where you was year one. So let's just think about that for a second, Chris. And the reason why I'm digging into this is because a real common question that I get, and I'm sure you've had this now from your colleagues, is that I always get questions and people ask me, Hisham, I've hit this glass ceiling. I I feel like I can't earn any more or I've reached this billing target and I've always ended up trying to exceed it, but I've always ended up hitting the 200K mark or whatever it may be, right? So I guess what I'm just interested to find out from you is what you think were some of the sort of core contributors that maybe you did differently or the things that you really doubled down on that you think really helped you get to that 10k milestone it's getting yourself in a position with the company that you're working at that they trust where you're going so i remember doing like free scala deals in dublin um which was oh my god that's 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 definitely out of the patch mate (laughs) yeah yeah it's out of the patch but no one else had it and um, the company kind of trusted me to deliver on it. So what I would say is to get to, to a 10K book, I had to do work outside my patch, but also be incredible on my patch. So the way I did it, and it's maybe not helpful to a lot of people this, but it's just worked ridiculously hard. Yeah, <laughs> That's it. It's, there's no, if you're looking for a magic wand, then you're looking at, eight, nine, ten years of recruitment noise that you can put together and, and use um, use that. But I didn't have that. I had, what, two years of resourcing at one company and one and a bit years of 360. That was it. So I had to, conv- I had to what I would say is be incredible at your patch, but also you're going to be incredible at the peripheries of that patch because that's where your entrepreneurial spirit comes in and kind of your inner entrepreneur is that if you see something else that you have a good feeling that it's worth pursuing, you've got to be, you've got to follow it sometimes. Um, and you've got to be in a position in the company that they trust you to follow it. Yeah. If you're, if you're a company that kind of doesn't allow you to do that, there is some limitations with that really. Um, that if you can just do stuff within your patch, I don't think I've seen, um, and I've only worked at two companies, but I don't, I don't see, I've seen a, a 10k book with people just doing the patch. Yeah. Okay. Just doing I, I, I get what you're saying, and that's interesting. But I think the interesting, which is a really important point you make, Chris, is about th- this. We're talking about billings and all these things but actually there's there's real value in building trust from the people around you i, I, I couldn't agree with that more yeah that, i think that, that and that's because i'm assuming now when we talk about nordics that was part of it i'm assuming that like how did you then i'm assuming that you saw an opportunity or and then when do you know what i mean so let's talk about for the last two and a half years then so what have you how did this come about why did you end up focusing on another patch that you never done before or the business had never done before. And yeah, the Nordics tech market. How did how did this come about? So when I when I'd finished the Java Northwest patch, yeah, and I say I finished, I just moved on. Yeah. Someone else came in, I kind of I gave them a patch and then I started doing Scala. And we started doing London as a company, and someone else has started that patch on contract and uh, said, Chris, can you help? this person and we'll be able to attack it as a two. So I did it and everything that I was doing in the Northwest just wasn't working because it was nailed down by some companies who were just too good at it. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to kind of hold your hands up. It's like you find a losing battle. How long did you give it? Say eight, nine, eight, nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if anyone's starting out on a free city patch, you've got to give it longer than that. But I'd already done one patch. I kind of, I already knew uh, if this was going somewhere. Now I didn't really change patches as such, but when I was talking about being really good on the periphery of patch, all the leads I was pulling from the uh, Scala developers, 
most of them are in Europe. Um, so I was like, fancy it. Like, <laughs> if London's locked down, yeah, they're just massive companies I can't break into. They've already got either PSLs that I don't want to work on, or they've already got people who specialize in that as a company. I can't offer either of those. So let's go and chase some of these leads in Europe. And I was doing it a bit on and off. Um, and it was nothing really was coming of it. And then I spoke to um spoke to one of the directors of the company and told him like what I was doing. He was like, Well, you're only like chasing it for let's say an hour of the day. Um so he said, do it for two weeks purely. Yeah, chase all of those leads intensely for two weeks and stop them. Everything, Everything else. else. Focus. So I did that. Next thing I know, I got some I had a client in uh, Berlin, I had a client in Amsterdam, I had a client in Stockholm. And fortunately enough for me, the client in Stockholm was just about to like just go mental in terms of recruitment. So ended up focusing on that. Uh, and next thing I know, I've got a team of six people doing Stockholm. Love that. <laughs> Again, coming back to the entrepreneurial spirit, following opportunities, building that trust. So I love that. I think everything that you've worked, your absolute socks off leading up to that point created your own luck to get that I, do you know what i mean I, I really believe that everything that you put in there internally and externally in terms of what you've been doing gave you that opportunity so let, let's talk let, let's talk about this then and, and focus on this so from that point then chris just for context how long have you been building that out then so you mentioned their team of uh yeah small team but so, from that point is it what two years was it two years a year and a half how long has it been do you think uh, building the team so it start when I when I started pulling the um, clients in Stockholm and I started focusing on that um, I was in a fortunate position like I said I built enough internal trust that I had the resources um, to help me get my book so I ended up getting my book at one point to 17 and a half weekly book value at one point which was ridiculous wow. some, of the best, some of the best times I've ever had um, <laughs> and but then it got to a point where it wasn't I needed to think bigger as an individual and I needed to change into, into a manager. And I'd had several conversations uh, with my director about where I wanted to go in my career. And if I was just going to kind of rinse a couple of clients and um, just have people working as resources, there's only a certain level you can get to in your career. Um, so I had to, had to go look at management. Um, and then since then, that's where all the challenges have been, yeah, management and people, um, and I love it. Okay, so let's break this down. What I'm keen to do, Chris, but I'm keen to, so it's another real common question I get from recruiters that go for that journey. So I'm keen to dig into those challenges of management, how you've got better at it, what you've learned, and we'll do that. But before I do, I just have to ask one or two questions around business development, growing this book, getting clients, right? So focusing on Stockholm, Nordics. Let's just go real practical here, Chris, because it's one of the most common things that I always get asked about. What was your best, what were your best methods, best ways of getting new clients to build up this book in a completely new patch? What was the most effective way for you? It's, it's the exact same as any patch. Get to know all the candidates, give them some value and ask for value back. Yeah, it's simple as, yeah, give them, give them uh, what's going on in the market, give them who's hiring that you don't work with, um, and then honestly ask them, can you introduce me? Uh, and that that works. Yeah. Leveraging, so you went really yeah. focused on candidates and then gave value, do, do what you do best, get to know them, blah, 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 and then, yeah, ask for something in return and, and get leads that way. Absolutely. It's leveraging those relationships. I suppose when you're building these banks of candidates um, within your patch, you know the companies that work for as a contractor. And therefore, you are constantly approaching them. If I'm, if I, we as a team, myself, spoken, speaking to candidates two hours in the morning and candidates two hours in the evening, you've got technically a full day of approaching these clients, approaching them, selling in candles. So for the whole for the whole rest of the day, Chris. Sorry to button. You're doing what you so. It's BD. Is it business to BD? 
Yeah, it's beading. Unless you've got any internal meetings or anything like that, but it's beading. Um, that was when I was on my own, I suppose, um, managing a team. We've got kind of other duties. Yeah, 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 of course. Okay. Why do you why do you think then, Chris? Because you hear this a lot, don't you? You hear this in recruitment that all our business is done through referrals, right? You, you always hear that, don't you? That you hear like, yeah, look, it's all referrals, blah, blah, blah. And obviously a really successful way that's worked for you is yeah, leveraging your relationships and candidates to get you introductions and get you into to clients. Like, why do you think that's been effective? We've been, we've chosen our patches carefully. Every time we've started a new patch, it's, it's based on a patch that either I've done or it's on the edge of one of our patches. Yeah, so Java Scala, uh, React Java, all closely linked patches. So, yeah, it's it's worked because we've always done something that's close to what someone else is doing. So I'm, I'm speaking as a manager now, really. And, yeah, we've always we've always tried to do patches that are very, very um, closely linked to each other. And I suppose but during the day of doing BD, if you've picked your patches well and you know the best candidates and you genuinely just selling in i mean in stockholm we don't do cold calling really we don't do it at all no i've never really done cold calling at all to be honest in my whole career um i've done it sometimes only if i'm really really desperate um i think well-worded emails clear emails clear in mails um focusing <laughs> one thing I'm always clear with my team is that when we get these opportunities, when we've created something from emails or emails, is having really clear, defined um, outcomes of that meeting, going over prepared, yeah, and that that that's that's where you get your results. Because if you just go in and try and wing these meetings, you've missed such a big opportunity, yeah, that, that so hard to come around. So yeah, I suppose. Okay. All right, you might have just been talking about there, but what... Okay, so j- just quickly, just real practical here, Chris. I know this will seem the second nature to you, but I think it'll be something that people might want me to ask or whatever. But, like, are we literally are we literally asking candidates here and what you're getting that seems to be effective is, hey, Chris, look, could you introduce me to X? And are you then literally getting an email are they literally then emailing you going hey well, like what, what, what what's the what's what, the what we do now what we do now right is that we've got a good client base in stockholm now so yeah it, it, it is easier as such we've generally got jobs to talk about but if you've got a patch right now and you aren't video calling that's that patch yeah and setting up constant video calls then you're doing it wrong you missed an opportunity because you and me will have a conversation now on the video call and you introduce yourself, uh, they introduce themselves, they know what they're on the call for, uh, you're open and honest about what you want to get out of the call. Um, you do this enough, and remember, if you're adding value to them, they're going to give some value back at some point. So asking them, can you introduce me to your manager? Who's, who's hiring within the company? I've been working with this person before. If you're doing that face-to-face and you're confident about it, then you can. New business isn't too difficult, um, but you've got to be able to add value to people. That, that's the key, I suppose. If you can add value to candidates, then they'll lead you in the right direction. Um, yeah. And then the, the question I wanted to ask, Chris, before we talk about management, where, where do you see recruiters go where do you commonly see recruiters go wrong with bd then because you spoke about you they don't want to do it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so, so you just so said under preparing like you work so hard to get that opportunity to see them on a video call meet them speak to them over prepare well, for those meetings but where else do you see sort of recruiters go wrong you've got to be passionate about creating your own little business Right, and so you've got to. It means a lot when you get those meetings. It means a lot getting that client. So you've got to kind of have some like emotion uh, tied to this. So I just I think where a lot of recruiters go wrong is that 
they're here just just to have a job, get on with it. Uh, if they can speck a candle out and someone bites, brilliant. If not, it's not the end of the world. Um, that's the difference between uh, the kind of people who are going to get mediocre results, which are still really good results in life, but all, uh, compared to those people who get incredible results, is because they've got kind of incredible um, outcomes that they want to achieve. Yeah, and they're constant about that. So yeah, I think I think just being passionate about what you do, loving the job, uh, and wanting to get what are quite bold outcomes, but very achievable. That's interesting. That's no, that's interesting. So you you actually brought it down to yeah, really understanding why you're doing what you're doing, having a real hunger and passion for it, which is gonna yeah help you get through. Okay, I, I love that. Um, management then, Chris. How long? So, how long then have you been managing? I'd say two and a bit years, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What have been your biggest challenges then? Because this comes up all the time. You hear it all the time. Billing managers, most difficult role in recruitment. Like, what have been the biggest challenges for you then, Chris? Micromanagement. To <laughs> <laughs> uh, so give us a bit yeah. more, Jane. So then you ended up, well, you ended up micromanaging you, you, people. Yeah, so I, I came out of um, came out of doing three sixty, and I'd done a few patches successfully. Um, I thought I knew the way of doing recruitment. Yeah, and and I wanted to make people successful, um, and therefore I was like, I can show you what I've done. This is the thing I've done. So let's just go with this, right? So that's what we went with. <laughs> and uh, I would have, yeah, yeah, just like, this is the way we're doing it. Everyone just follow me. And it kind of worked. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But then, especially when we came into, um, especially when we came into lockdown four or five months ago, uh, you realise that you can't do that. There's so much, it's, you've got to trust people a lot more than I was doing. Um, so that, that, was, that was my biggest challenge initially. Um. Yeah. yeah that was. It, questions right now. <laughs> no, 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 no it, it, it's a really common one, Chris. Right? Because what you're basically saying there is that what you did as a manager is you put you basically expected them to do things that you do. Yeah. Which no, there's no other Chris, there's no other Chris Bennett. There's no other that like you can't you can't do that this always comes out of this is that one of the common things is that yeah a billing manager or whatever will go look this is how i've done it this is how i've created success for myself so this is how i expect you to do it but actually you can do that and yeah it might work for you but there might be a point if that's locked down if that's different things where there's limitations on that and you have like what have you had to work out then how people tick what works better for other people is that what you've had to be more open-minded yeah, to yeah i've learned quite Quite a lot over the last four months, to be honest. Um, I just think where I went massively wrong was um, initially start with trust and proper trust, not like oh, yeah, like you hire trust. them in your team, actually trust, trust them, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But make sure they are accountable, right? Make sure they're accountable because if if you're always doing your system your way and micromanaging in your own way, then they've always got that to fall back on, the fact that, yeah, it's you, you told me to do this. Yeah, this is how you want me to do it. And therefore, it's not theirs. Yeah, mm. losing losing the passion uh, that I've said is, is needed in this. So once you introduce accountability and trust, then so much better things start to happen and people start doing it their own way and you start as a manager learning about different ways. So that's the biggest learn I could ever have in terms of, yeah, just, yeah. I like, no, I love that. Big, that's big, learn, big learn. Learn to empower them to do it their own way, take accountability for what they're doing. Um, and I guess, and yeah, really trust them. And then I guess within that, Chris, it's like you just being really happy and comfortable that, there's some like core principles that you all agree as a team that you have are non-negotiables, but, and then like how Chris, like, do you know what I mean? I feel like that's yeah. the added part to it, so, isn't it? So right now, uh, my team, uh, we've got a few people on furlough, but 
um, we've got a team that's three of us, and we only have we have three meetings a week, catch ups. Yeah, so half twelve every um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and that is just to check in with everyone, see how everyone's doing. Um, we have the option to do it on Tuesday and Thursday, but you don't have to don't have to do it. And then we have because right now it's the client side you need to focus on. Yeah, it's the client side that needs to work. It's the relationship management. It's improving those relationships. It's staying in touch with people. And because as a team, we realize that's the most important thing, then we have uh, a meeting every other, uh, well, a meeting actually every week, one hour meeting on a Friday to discuss where we're up to with that. Yeah, so we're kind of clear, defined goals as a team of what we need to be doing. And that's where we discuss. We finish early on a Friday, finish at three, and then for that meeting, it's discussing where we're up to with that. What results have you got from that week? And that is where we hold each other accountable. And one thing we had to instill that I never did before is that you have to get the rest of the team to hold each other accountable. That's including my team to me. That's including uh, one of the team to the other, other part of the team. So everyone is holding each other accountable. And I suppose if they can't handle that, then that's where trust breaks down, doesn't it? And that's where yeah. we kind of have to, that's, what, that's, that's the issue. That's how a lot of micromanagers created as well. No, I really like that. That's really interesting. I, I, I really like that. Um, okay, Chris. So what, what I would definitely keen just to ask you to get your thoughts on, how have you gone about the Nordics market, completely different country, different culture? How have you gone about, how did you go about understanding that? Because I feel like there'll be a lot of recruiters right now or have been due to this or will be thinking it in hindsight, like they, they do need to diversify. They shouldn't be, like you said, about in the patch and things like that. You should... God, we made a mistake in being Northwest, Java, blah, blah, blah. And I think a, a great way, and I'm sure you've noticed this, that there's been more and more competition over the last two or so years of UK recruiters recruiting in the Nordics and other countries and, and the EU. And I think a big part of that is enabling recruitment businesses and recruiters to have a di diverse way of being able to, to build their business, right? So I think one thing that always holds people back or what people are most curious about is I'm in Warrington, I'm in Manchester and I'm placing people in the Nordics, right? Like how do people actually, how receptible are people to that? And how did you go about understanding the nuances of this culture? Well, by default, if you're a British recruiter, you come with a tag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but kind of wear that on your sleeve, really. Don't be ashamed. Like I said before, don't be ashamed of it. You are who you are. Yeah, don't start pretending you're based in Stockholm. Don't change LinkedIn saying I'm based in Stockholm or based in Berlin or wherever you're doing that. You are who you are. Own who you are. I love that. And in Stockholm, in the Nordics, transparency is key. So if you're thinking about bringing any of your dodgy tactics or cowboy recruiting, it's going to fail. How did you work out why? How did you work that out? How did you work out the transparency? Did you not? I don't know. Oh, because it gets brought up three times a meeting. Really? Transparent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so you have to be completely transparent. So your margins, uh, what you earn, yeah, that is public information. You pick that up on from the meeting straight away. Yeah, yeah. And so if you if you believe you're charging a high margin, you better have a reason why you're doing it. Um, could be a completely legitimate reason, yeah. If it's a niche role, if it's difficult to fill, then, yeah, be honest about it. But... You might have to give some a, a, a bit away because you are going to be transparent. So that that was one of the difficult things at start because in UK recruitment, that's not really a conversation that comes up as much. Uh, but in the Nordics, it comes up from both the candidate side of how much do you charge and, and the client side of how much is the difference. So that was something uh, that we quickly had to get over. Um, apart from that, if you... If you are going to kind of approach uh, doing another country, stick with what you know. Yeah, if it's if you know Java, do Java in another country. I help. If you know contract, do contract. You, I've had some incredible support around me um, of my director um, helping with with the legal side of what we're doing. Uh, so make sure you've got people who are oh, prepared to, yeah, prepared to use their time to do that. Uh, because it is different 
Yeah, there are different contracts. There's different ways of doing things. If you do it in Germany, it's some of the hardest recruitment you'll ever do with the most admin. Yeah, so if you've not got a really good team behind you to help you, uh, then you're going to struggle. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's a massive team effort. Even the owner's getting involved. The owner of my company's been out at a few client meetings with me. Um, be prepared to get out there when you can. Um, yeah. Love yeah, that. Just, right, just, right. just be, yeah, just be, be realistic as well. Yeah. It's, it's going to take a while. How, how long did you give yourself? Like, how long? What, well, thankfully, how long like two thankfully years? I, I had my book still running. Yeah. yeah so what I, would, what I would say is that I've always, when, you, when you've got a good book and you've just done some deals and you're above your target, that next month is the time, the month to think about other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's to think, it's to think about the edges of uh, your kind of market, the periphery. Yeah, what's going on there? Yeah, is there anything else you can be doing? That's the one to think about. It's not the one to kind of just like think, oh, what, what, what a great deals I did. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have a bit of a chill now. No, the next month is the kind of proactive work starts again. Like that. So look, before we finish, Chris, what I was just keen to get your thoughts on, clearly someone that likes new business, winning clients, build, building out new patches, like over the last obviously a couple of months, how have you, as I said to you before, I had loads of messages around, always have messages around business development, but even more so around how people have been approaching over the last couple of months, what changes they've made and all these things. Like how, how have you sort of tailored or changed your approach over the last couple of months considering what's been going on on the, the business development side? I've become best friends with my marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Um a lot of the stuff I do now is centered around marketing, really. Yeah. So if you're five, six, seven years into recruitment, thinking you know about recruitment and know everything about what's going on in recruitment, then one thing I'd suggest doing is go and learn about marketing and go and learn about automation and go and learn about data. And that's been my focus for the last four months um, about being more of an all-rounded recruiter. Um, so marketing has massively helped myself uh, and the company to redirect our focus on on, on different um, goals during what we've been doing. So like I said, we've been focusing a lot on um, improving our relationships, creating new relationships. And if you've got a, a really good uh, supportive marketing team, it's a much easier way to do it. Um, so that's that's my advice. If you've got a marketing team, go and hear their thoughts on what you're doing. So, yeah. so ju- just quickly, because I know we've spoken about this, if you don't mind sharing. So like what's helped you stay in touch, business development, is that you've been calling up people in the Nordic space and what have you been have, have you been putting people together or have you like have you been basically we've been doing, staying... we've been doing articles. We've been okay, doing, articles so, cool. Yeah, yeah. So again, so, coming back to your earlier point around having a reason to call people, that's what's really helped you during this period then having a reason it's like hey look i'd love to jump on a video we're doing a series of articles at the moment to talk about how you're getting on with things what you think is going to change and all these things basically yeah yeah so we've been doing doing articles on stuff that's kind of relevant to our patches relevant to our customers we're targeting like i said we've got a meeting every week on you write down all, all your clients um and the patches within there's plenty of stuff that uh, marketing teams and, and freelance writers can write on if you go and get that content. Uh, so right now it's very easy to have conversations about how teams have been reacting, how your tech team doing working remotely, discussing stuff like that. And you are building relationships and you're putting yourself in what we call the luck situation that if you're speaking to these people once a month during that and then they have got a freelance position everyone's like oh you're lucky well no you just thought of a different way different reasons so have you have you seen a return like have you i know there is more to it it's not just sales 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 it's actually an opportunity to give value which you've already spoken about throughout this whole podcast but have you like how how has that how has that helped you or impacted it i've uh my business plan this year yeah I think we had like five goals as a team and we're hitting four of them, just on the financial part. 
Yeah. Really? So, yeah, yeah. So, so if if you if you're judging this year on finances, yeah, unless you're doing, I don't know, health tech, or something <laughs> like that, and you specialise in, I don't know, logistics of food, uh, and you're doing that type of recruitment, then I imagine this year is going to be tough for a lot of people. But if you look at your other goals that you set at the start of the year that you are in control of, yeah, improving relationships. Um, building up uh, your bank, that that unattainable goal that I talked about before of finding all the job developers in the Northwest who are contractors. There's no reason it, you can't still have done this. In fact, it's actually easy to find people now. Doing all that admin work on the client side and making sure every client you're trying to approach, you've got all the email addresses, you've got the telephone numbers, you constantly... Uh, sending them information about what's going on in the market. These are all stuff you can control. So I would I would argue that um, the amazing work kind of my team has done. We are in a miles better position than we were uh, going into COVID, um, and we've put ourselves in a brilliant position that once the market does pick up again, and we're starting to see that in Stockholm, um, the rewards. Yeah. Love that. Love that. So look, before we finish, Chris, what knowing, knowing what you know now, what, what advice would you give to Chris early on in his recruitment career? Um, focus. Don't forget about other uh, about stuff outside recruitment. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, don't give up everything for him, I would say. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, just focus. Make sure, make sure you still see your family. Make sure you do. You still see your missus and stuff like that, or your fella, or whoever it is. Yeah, because it can. There's no reason. Yeah, because like when when you said that at the beginning, it's like sort of what I went through in my head is like, yeah, how sustainable is that? No, it's not sustainable at all. It's it's definitely if you're creating a patch, yeah, you've got to be committed to that patch for about nine months of very hard hard work um so if you're with someone at the time make sure they're clear about that make sure they know um if you're not prepared to do the seven eight months then uh, then just be realistic be honest with yourself returns on it um and i suppose yeah back in the day i was always work hard work hard 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 but now i'm like let's focus a, a bit more smarter thinking yeah, so I want to be honest. I won't change much in terms of like because I've, I've actually yeah yeah. Got- no, I think that's good advice, right? It's like, look, Chris. I know you want to work hard. I know you've got the hunger, but that doesn't mean that you, that come. You have to sacrifice everything. Yeah, it doesn't mean you have yeah. to sacrifice everything. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, Chris. So, um, last question then. How how do you see the land lay after this? Like, what in terms of recruitment? How do you how do you see things changing over the next six to twelve months? In your opinion, what what do you think is going to change, or what's what you're interested or excited about in in the sort of short to medium future? I think um, it's exciting to see how recruitment companies uh, react to this. Yeah, the clients will always be the clients. They'll come back. Yeah, they'll start hiring. They'll start wanting to do PSLs. Some will want to get rid of PSLs. The whole process of one summer, one perm, then one freelance, that'll always be the same, yeah? But the, the the change that will happen is how recruitment companies internally work with their staff. You'd like to think that your manager every month is, say, asking two questions, really. How do you work best and what do we need from you, really? Yeah. So if, yeah, if you work best five days remotely, yeah, not in the office. Brilliant. If us as a team need to win for two, then that's going to be the challenge going forward. How do we make that happen between us? Yeah. Do we need you one one day a week, some weeks and two days? Because the fully remote um, option is, I've enjoyed it, but can you grow a team on it? Now, you might be able to, um, but you're going to have to have an incredible training team. You're going to have to have an incredible training team who knows how to train people remotely. So people are going to have to get good at that. So all of these challenges um, are coming up. 
but I think it's mainly in, in recruitment about how you train people remotely, how do you work remotely, and how do you pe- hold people accountable while working remotely. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see the days of shirts and ties, maybe they might be going, don't know. No, I I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things, everything that you're talking about there. It's going to be really interesting how people adapt, what changes, what a typical five-day working week for a recruiter looks like. It's it's going to be interesting. Um, Look, Chris, love your energy, love your passion. Excited to see from afar where your career goes, but um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really want to ensure this podcast remains valuable and relevant for all of you. If you have topics or questions you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. Best place to get me is on LinkedIn. Just search Hishimazuz and drop me a message. I would love to hear from you. Finally, if you have two minutes, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave an honest review for the podcast. It will simply mean that I can reach more people with this podcast. You can easily leave a review for the podcast by clicking the link in the episode notes or by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash rollercoaster. Thank you again for listening.